0: Uh, Morning, everyone. If you have a Bible, and I I hope you do, could you please turn to 2 Kings chapter 3, or if you have it on a a phone or an iPad. Last week, uh, we left, or we read how Elisha picked up the mantle, and he stepped into a really big pair of shoes, and he started to serve God empowered by the spirit of his ascended master. And, And we made the point that our story is his story. And I really want to emphasize that again this morning. Alicia's story is our story because we as Christians are empowered to serve God by the Spirit of our ascended master. So we're exactly the same as Alicia in that respect. Incidentally, if you were here last week, uh, Elisha's succession went a lot better than others I mentioned last Sunday. I don't want to go there, but Frank, could you please sort it out this afternoon? If you weren't here last week, that'll mean nothing but to worry. Elisha proved himself quite quickly as he helped to bring healing and hope in one incident and then sobering and startling judgment in another whenever 42 young people were mauled by two bears because this group of young people called Alicia Baldy. Now, before we kind of plow on into chapter three, I want to go back to something that we thought about and mentioned just before the summer holidays. And it all related to our engagement and our attitude towards and our reading of this Which is why I said at the start, I really hope you've got a copy of of God's Word with you this morning. I wonder how you have got on reading God's Word over the summer. I, I encouraged all of us to kind of make sure that alongside that novel or those books that you were going to take away with you, that you didn't forget to pack and take and read your Bible. So I suppose the question I'm just back asking is how have you got on? One of the books that I uh, dipped into this summer was this one, The Bible and Digital Millennials. It's a kind of new title that's just been released, caught my attention. It was in Union Library, saw it a couple of weeks ago. And it's effectively a report of a survey that has explored the place of Scripture in the lives of young adults today. 18 to 35-year-olds, the first generational wave to have been brought up in a digital world. It's a really interesting read. Haven't read all of it, just dipped into it. But here is the central finding from this study. Digital millennials have a qualified indifference towards the Bible. The majority are indifferent towards it, rarely engaging with it, and having no strong feelings or thoughts about it. Now, I'm not sure how you react to that. It's not exactly a blinding revelation, is it? It's not surprising to discover that young adults today don't really want anything to do with God's Word. But here's the thing. I wonder how, and I'm speaking in a church context, but I wonder how our practice over the past couple of months has reflected our attitude towards and our relationship with the Bible. What has my engagement with Scripture this summer communicated and revealed? What has your engagement with Scripture this summer said about you? Is there a danger of me becoming indifferent towards God's Word? One of, the big, uh, one of the big themes in this series, for those of you who have been tracking it, one of the big themes in Kings, First Kings and now Second Kings, is the importance, the centrality, the priority, and the necessity of hearing and responding to God's Word. The Word of God and the enduring power of that Word sits at the heart of so many people's stories in Kings. It also sits at the heart of the overall story of Kings. It shapes people, it influences people, it changes people, challenges people. It defines people, it dictates to people. And this morning as we're about to discover, God's word again features strongly and its impact is phenomenal, even though it was treated as an afterthought. You could almost say God's word once again here, right way, way back then, was treated no differently to the way digital millennials treat it today, and that is indifferently. Of always been the case. So, what I want to do is read 2 Kings 3 together with you. We're going to track our way through it. I'm not going to read it all in one go. Normally, at Windsor here, we stand for the public reading of God's Word. We're only going to do that at the very start for the first three verses. Otherwise, we're just going to be up and down all morning. But anyway, let's stand for the first part of it. Here are the first three verses of 2 Kings 3. Jerome, or Jeram, however you pronounce his name, son of Ahab, or maybe grandson, not entirely sure he was, you know, son, but son of Ahab became king of Israel in Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and he reigned for 12 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, but not as his father and mother had done. He got rid of the sacred stone of Baal that his father had made. Nevertheless, He clung to the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. He did not turn away from them. Grab a seat. So, Jerome is the new king in the north. Remember, the kingdom is divided into two, north and south. In the north, Israel. In the south, Judah. Jerome is the new king in the north, and he's a son of Ahab, so it's no shock to read that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. But not to the same extent. Not to the same extent as his dad and his mom Jezebel had done. Which begs the question, are there degrees of evil? Just leave that. Take that one away with you. Think about it. Are there? Jerome got rid of some religious icon of Baal that his father had made, which whoever the narrator of this story is actually seems to say, do you know that was a really good thing he did? But then the narrator adds the word nevertheless, which makes us think, hang on a minute, not all is good. Nevertheless, he clung, now that's a strong word, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam and he didn't deal with it. Do you ever do that? Do you ever let go of certain things but hold on to others? You kind of address or you sort out some things in your life that you know aren't right but you cling on to others. You refuse or you're reluctant to let go of them. I think we do. I think I do. And you cling to them. And you find it really hard to give them up. And you sometimes rationalize them or you justify your behavior because you reckon, well, I'm dealing with this issue. I'm dealing with this area. I'm dealing with this sin for now. And I will get round to that one at some point or at a later date. And the reality is it doesn't work like that. It can't work like that because total submission is required. We've got to love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength and mind. We're not to hold anything back. We're not to cling on to anything either that creates a barrier. Jerome is not as bad as he could be, but he's certainly not as good as he could be either. What about me? What about me? I'm not as bad as... That, but I'm still hanging on to stuff. And in the next few verses, we read, if you have a Bible, look at verse 4 onwards. In the next few verses, you read that there's there's an enemy of Israel, a guy called the king of Moab, who is rebelling. And so Jerome, who's now the new king in Israel, he decides to go and fight him. And he invites Jehoshaphat. Now remember, he is the king in the southern kingdom. So, Jerome invites Jehoshaphat to join him and to join in. Now, Jehoshaphat is one of those kings in Scripture who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Hold that thought. So, Jehoshaphat agrees to join Jerome, as does another king. Have a look at this the king of Edom also joins them. And that's probably because the route that these armies were gonna take was gonna cut across the desert of Edom. And so the king of Edom decided to join in as well. So you've got three kings, three armies, all en route to war. Let's read what happens next. Verses nine and 10 on the screen. Hey, let's, let's stand again. Let's, let's be up and down. Let's do that. Stick with me. You Ready? So the king of Israel set out with the king of Judah, that's Jehoshaphat, and set out with the king of Edom, three of them. After a roundabout march of seven days, the army had no water for themselves or for the animals with them. What, exclaimed the king of Israel, has the Lord called us three kings together only to deliver us into the hands of Moab. Isn't that fascinating? That whenever things go wrong, whenever things don't look so good, Joram not only blames a God he's not entirely committed to, but he actually talks a religious language that implies that God is the reason for this alliance and for this mission. Has the Lord called us three kings together only? To, I mean, it seems crazy. And yet, let me, ask, let me ask this question: How often do people still do this? How often do people still do this? They do their own thing without any prior or real reference to God. They ply on with their lives, ply on with their plans, and then whenever they hit an obstacle... Whenever problems arise, whenever things don't quite go according to script, they point the finger towards heaven. Or they begin all this God talk. Well, if God really loved me, if God really was in control, if God was as powerful as He or whatever. Do we ever do that? Did our culture, people today, do that? The Lord didn't call these three kings together. This whole narrative is built on a lie. The Lord never called them together. So as you read this, you start to feel a bit nervous about where it's going. Well, at this point, up steps Jehoshaphat. And he asks a question that is similar to one he's asked before. For those of you who have been part of this series... Hopefully, you'll remember that back in 1 Kings 22, Jehoshaphat asked a question very similar to this way back then. Here's the question he asked. Look at verse 11. But Jehoshaphat asked, is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? Now, At one level, that is such a positive suggestion. Here is an example of why Jehoshaphat is described as someone who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Here is the king of Judah keen to hear a word from God, which is great. It really is great. But the question is, why only now? why only now? I mean, is Jehoshaphat only turning to God's word at this point because he's staring disaster in the face? I mean, he's not blaming God. He's not pointing a finger towards heaven like Jerome is okay, and that's good. But is Jehoshaphat only seeking God's word now because he's in a crisis, because he's stuck, because he's been backed into a corner? Is God's word simply an airbag for the disasters of life which you hope you never have to use? Certainly seems that way. Jehoshaphat is a good guy. He's faithful, but he's flawed. Or should that be the other way around? He's flawed, but he's faithful. I have no clue. So what is going to happen? Jehoshaphat has, at this late stage in the day, decided to consult God's word and encourage the other two kings to do the same. So what's going to happen? Well, is that airbag going to activate? Well, someone steps forward and introduces Elisha. Second half of verse 11, look at it. And verse 12, So on the screen, will not stand. An officer of the king of Israel answered, listen, Elisha, son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to meet him. All three of them, interesting. Jerome like his... No time for God, generally. Jehoshaphat tends to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. backed into the corner. And Edom with no, the king of Edom with no clue about But the three of them decide, do you know something? We're in a crisis here. Let, let's go meet this guy. Now, before we find out how the meeting went, we discover two things about Elisha in what I just read, that tells us so much about this man. And if we're not careful, we'll miss this. Here's the two things we discover about Elisha. He poured water on the hands of Elijah, and the word of the Lord is with him. You see, Elisha had a reputation of being a humble servant who could share God's word. A humble servant who could share God. Here is a person of humility, a go-to person whenever you're seeking godly advice and wisdom and input. And so here's my question, another question this morning. Are you that kind of person? Are you humble? Are you a go to person whenever someone wants godly advice and input and wisdom? Because you are immersed and you are soaked and you know God's word, it just oozes out of your pores. And so you are a go-to person because people say, do you know something? The word of the Lord is with that person. Go and talk to them. And they're humble. And there's no reason why we can't be those kind of people because, as I said earlier, we are empowered by the spirit of our ascended Master. Every single Christian in this room this morning is empowered by the the spirit of their ascended master. So you can be this kind of person. We may never have to pour water in someone's hands, but we are encouraged to pick up towels and wash feet and be the kind of people who can share God's word with others. Anyway, the three kings meet Elisha. This is fascinating. Elisha begins by questioning them. They don't get a word out. Elisha begins by questioning them, or one of them in particular, Jerome, the king of Israel. And Elisha says to him, why are you involving me, Jerome? Why are you not turning to the prophets of your mom and dad? I mean, Ahab and Jezebel, your mom and dad, had no time for God. They had their own gods. They had their own spokesmen. So why, Jerome, are you not knocking at their door at this time? Why are you not turning to them? Why are you involving me? It's a great question, Elisha asks. And maybe Jerome realized, well, given what happened at Carmel, which I'm sure he heard about and knew about as a son of Ahab, given what happened at Carmel, Jerome knows, do you know something? See when it really matters. See when I'm really backed into a corner. I need God. I need Yahweh. I don't need Baal. I don't need the prophets of Baal. When I'm backed into a corner, when I'm in a crisis, I need your God. Because my mom and dad's God And my gods, just don't cut it. Well, Elisha isn't impressed. I mean, he's humble, but he's not a walkover. So he's not impressed. But because of Jehoshaphat, look look at verse 14, and this is really important. Because Elisha respected Jehoshaphat, And and there's all kinds of reasons given for this. Was Was it because he was really the Davidic king? Whatever. Elisha respects Jehoshaphat. And because of that, Elisha decides to seek and share God's word. And he does that, but only after listening some music. Love this. Look at verse 15. What does Elisha say? Bring me a harpist. The power of music power of music. Well, while the harpist is playing, the hand of the Lord comes on Elisha, and this is what he says. Here is the word of God. It's on the screen. This is what the Lord says. I will fill this valley with pools of water, for this is what the Lord says. You will see neither wind nor rain, yet this valley will be filled with water, and you and your cattle and your other animals will drink. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. He will also deliver Moab into your hands. You will overthrow every fortified city and every major town. You will cut down every good tree, block up all the springs, and ruin every good field with stones. Not very environmentally friendly, but let 's not go there. This is total grace. Please do not miss. This, this is total grace no one deserved this. Jerome certainly didn't deserve this, but no one deserved this, and yet God's Word still speaks into his life and into his situation, and they are words of help, and they're words of hope. They're words of encouragement. They're words of promise. They're words of rescue and responsibility. And before we deal with or consider the detail, I just love this reminder that God still graciously speaks His Word into our hearts and into our lives, even when we're not in a great place spiritually, even when we might be playing the blame game, or even if we turn to God's Word as a last resort, God still graciously speaks to us through His Word. And I don't understand that. I don't fully get that, but I'm so glad of it. Plus, I also love the discovery that the only reason Jerome received the benefits of God's word was because of the presence of someone else in his life. It was because of Jehoshaphat that Jerome found mercy and help in his time of ultimate need. And I know at one level it's stating the obvious, but this stands as an implicit reminder that the only reason we have been able to sit around this table this morning The only reason we have been able to give thanks for the help and the hope that we have, the forgiveness and the rescue that we have received from Almighty God is because of the presence and the reality of someone else. Nothing to do with me. The only reason I was able to sit here this morning and eat and drink is because of someone else. All because of Jesus. And that's grace. And the story continues, and I'm near done, but God's word confirms to these three kings that there's not only going to be water and more than enough for all of your armies and all of your animals, but there's also going to be victory. I'm going to give Moab into your hands. You don't deserve it. It's not said, but that's what I want to say. You don't deserve it, but I'm going to give you water and I'm going to give you victory. But did you notice what Elisha said about the water miracle and the instant supply of fluid? And again, I love this. Verse 18. See water in a desert? It's an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. You see, God specializes in doing the impossible and changing the unchangeable. Because as Jesus would later on go on to remind his disciples, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And if you're sitting here this morning at the moment and you feel helpless and you feel hopeless, bear this in mind. This is an easy thing in the eyes of the Lord. Does that mean God will always do what you want him to do every single time? Unlikely. But what it does mean is that God is able to do immeasurably more than you can ever realize or imagine. Water easy. And I'm going to give you victory, which he did. And as you read on, we discover that the very next morning, water filled the land. And as the enemy, the Moabites, woke up and looked across the desert at sunrise, it says that the sun reflected on the water and gave the impression that it was red like blood. And the Moabites thought, you know something, the three armies of Israel have all fallen out with each other and have started killing each other. Let's now go and plunder their camps. And so off they charge to plunder the camps of the Israelites who they thought had all killed one another, only it turns out they were still very much alive. And so these Moabites who were going probably carrying sacks to carry off the plunder instead of weapons— were all slaughtered, defeated. And so God's Word promised water and victory. God's Word delivered both. You see, it turned out that Jerome's and Jehoshaphat's and the king of Edom's only hope that day at that time was in the Word of God. That was their only hope. Without it, they were in trouble. And although they came at it, or they came to it with some reluctance or unbelief, with some uncertainty, with total indifference, although they came at God's word late in the day, God's word still impacted and changed their lives. Why? Because God's word is living and it's active, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It illuminates, and it guides, and it feeds, and it fuels, and it reveals, and it refines. And so in the midst of another great and dramatic story from 2 Kings, my hope and prayer today is that we would be reminded of the importance, the centrality, the enduring power, and the place of God's Word in our day-to-day lives. Please, Windsor Baptist Church, will we not treat this indifferently like digital millennials. Let this be a driving force in every activity of your life. How will your practice this week reflect your attitude towards God's Word? Will you engage with it? Or will another week pass when actually we just grab moments, random moments, where we just dip in and dip out? God's Word (laughs) sits at the heart of our stories. Whether we hear it and respond to it determines so much about us. May we be people of God's word.